Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DNA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. That's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh... Your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde, the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And my name's George. Did you see that uh, Speed Racer was trending on Twitter? Yeah, I know. I saw that, and it kind of upset me a little bit. Why did it upset you? Because it, it shouldn't have taken two fucking decades for people to like this movie. Okay? Like, yeah. this should have been widely adored when it was released. And now it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I'm glad you guys like it. Uh, you're too fucking late because... Uh, hey, 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 it's not too late. You can always listen to our episode to uh, hear two guys who've been appreciating this movie since it came out. Day one, motherfucker. Day one. Well... I was there day one. You were. You I were, saw that movie before Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 tweet that you sent me was was really funny where it was like you motherfuckers did not watch speed racer or uh scott pilgrim versus the world and now we now every blockbuster out there is a marvel superhero film and i was like marvel and star wars <laughs> yes exactly i love those properties but god damn why does everything have to be superhero related Ugh. yeah there's so many different like oh we're we're superheroes but we're different like, that's the genre of itself now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, exactly. It's like uh, the boys. We're superheroes, but different. Invincible. Invincible. We're superheroes, but different. Jupiter's Legacy. We're superheroes, but different. It's like. And apparently bad. Yeah. And it's like, and look, I love, I love the boys and I love Invincible. Oh, but come on, man. Can't we have some other Scott Pilgrims in the world? Like, wh- why does it have to be one dominating the other? Why can't we have both? But but that uh, the reason I bring that up is because not only is it recent and is it a way to plug our previous episode, but I feel like the guy who sent us this movie, like this is his speed racer. This is the movie that meant a lot to him, but nobody's seen it. Well, let me let me catch up audiences. So we had someone reach out to us. He sent Austin an email, right? You meant email? Yeah, to our retrograde pod at gmail.com. And he said, hey, you guys, or you could you could read the email. All right. Hi, guys. My name's blank. And a while back, I stumbled across a movie I had never heard of. It completely blew me away. And so ever since, I've been desperately trying to convince everyone across movie fandom to give it a shot and hopefully drag it out of complete obscurity. The movie's called The Beast of War, a.k.a. The Beast from 1988, directed by Kevin Reynolds, starring... George DeZunza, Jason Patrick, and Stephen Bauer. It was only released in two screens across the whole of the U.S. by Columbia Pictures. And I kid you not when I say this, this is the best Hollywood film you've never heard of. Quentin Tarantino's old writing partner, Roger Avery, has it down as the best movie of 1988 on Letterboxd. And he also has it down as one of his 20 Desert Island films with Apocalypse Now being the only other war film. The film has a rating of 7.3 on IMDb, 3.5 on Letterboxd, but not a single critic's review on Rotten Tomatoes. But it does have an audience score of 85%. 
I'm starting to get more and more podcasts to check it out and review it while Letterboxd seems to be on the increase now. I think it would be great if companies like Criterion or Shout Factory, etc. could get their hands on it and give it the exposure it clearly needs. Please seek this film out. It's available on DVD and streaming, so it won't be difficult to track down. And if you do see it, let me know if you agree with me that this might be one of the top 10 best American movies of the 1980s. One way or another, we need to find a way to raise this movie's profile and prevent it from continual obscurity once and for all. All the best. Well, you said you sent that to me and I was like, there's no doubt in my mind. We have to we have to talk about this movie, a hidden gem that nobody's talking about. Shit, that's all you had to say. <laughs> that's I'm quoting Pulp Fiction because Roger Avery worked on that film along with Tarantino. Yes, he did. He has a stories by credit. So a man who worked on Pulp Fiction saying that this is one of the best films of or the best film of 1988. Again, that's all you had to say. <laughs> Do you want a refresher on what came out in 1988? Please, Austin, hit me with that list. Number one. Domestic box office for 1988, Rain Man with oh. uh, Dustin Hoffman. We just talked about this guy. We just talked about him. <laughs> Three years later, he would go on to work with. He would go to work on Hook. That's true. Go listen to our other episode. What we think of Hook. Mm -hmm. Number two, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Ooh, all right. Number three, Coming to America. Oh shit! Okay. Number four, Big. Oh, <gasps> my man. Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. Number five, Twins. Arnold and That's Danny, right? Danny DeVito, yes. Mm -hmm. Crocodile Dundee 2 was number six. Huh. Number seven, Die Hard. What? Number seven? Seventh highest grossing movie in the States of 1988. Number eight, The Naked Gun. Okay. Do you, remember, you know the naked I, guy? I, right? I love that movie. I love that movie too. <laughs> Number nine, Cocktail. Is that Tom Cruise? That's the Tom Cruise one that is apparently really, really bad. Yeah. I heard that Cocktail brought the, you know, the Beach Boys uh, Kokomo song? No. No? No. You have to know that song. It's well, how does it go? Bama, Bama. Oh, yes. Okay. I know that song. Yeah. They. They heard weird things about like that song like being used for this movie or was like made for this movie. So you can thank Cocktail for having Kokomo stuck in your head now. <laughs> uh, number 10, Beetlejuice. Oh, number 10. Number 10. Okay. Oh, also coming out this year is Young Guns, The Land Before Time, Rambo 3 is interesting or rambo part two rambo two part three or something like that no rambo three the one where he's uh, in afghanistan well i i'm trying to make fun of the titles because it's rambo two part one last blood before the drop <laughs> it hits the floor and i think every every one of them after the first one's kind of bad like it's like between bad and awful <laughs> <laughs> why is uh, rambo a big thing i don't i don't understand it's uh, it, we might have to watch the I, film. Well, First Blood is a different kind of movie. Like, I think that one, well, I haven't seen it, but I, I've heard it's really good. I've seen the other ones. They're not good. So 88 was a pretty good year. Yeah, uh, it's pretty. A lot of movies I've seen here, uh, I, I do like. Yeah. 
big fan of Die Hard, the first one. Yeah, that and movie's Who Framed re- Roger Rabbit. That movie's really low on the list. Number seven is pretty pretty good. I That's think. low in my opinion. I mean, like, yes, it's the top ten grossing, but I'm like, it's Die Hard. Like, this is one of the best action films of all time. Yeah, but like, at the time, it wasn't really. They didn't really do a lot of marketing with it. They didn't really believe in Bruce Willis as the the action hero. So much so that they didn't even put his face in the advertisements, the billboards and stuff. And now and now and now there's like fucking seven of them. Yeah. Well, and like his face is in all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Clear as day. Yeah. OK, so really similar great to year. the Rambo series. I don't think the sequels are very good. Oh, like, no. Like two is OK, but honestly, three is pretty great because of Samuel uh, Live Free or Die Hard is pretty badass. I don't give a fuck what people say. It's enjoyable. Trash. Oh, fuck out of here. It's, ooh, it's not as good as the first one. It's like, yeah, of course, but it's still fun. It's even if 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 it was a standalone movie, I wouldn't remember it. Oh no, man. You know, like you said earlier, we all have different opinions. Okay, but getting back to the Beast. So the Beast had a budget of $8 million. And how and much did it make back? 161000 Nothing. That is yeah. nothing. That is a disastrous box office return. Yeah. I'm wondering why it didn't get a bigger release. Like, in the email, what? the guy said it was only released in two theaters. Why? Like, it's I would wild. imagine that because it was distributed by Columbia Pictures. I'd imagine they're like, hey... We want to make our money back, so we're going to put it in multiple theaters. Why the fuck would they put it in two? That doesn't make any sense. It's really weird. But I do know that the movie is about the Soviet invasion of uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. Which is, I think is similar to the plot of uh, Rambo 3. Oh, and they came out the same year. Well, they came out the same year. The movie follows a crew of Soviet T-55 tank who become lost during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. So that's pretty interesting concept already. This movie has only one review on Rotten Tomatoes. It doesn't even have an official score, but it has one review from a critic. uh, And it's positive. And he says a surprisingly effective look at how men behave during times of war. Okay, so we're following a Soviet crew invading Afghanistan. Men, how men behave during war. That brings back to Apocalypse Now. uh, I just feel like we're about to see some men do some awful things. Yes. Well, you saw the trailer. I did see the trailer, and that's kind of the vibe that I got. It's not like, uh, it doesn't feel like it's shot in a way so that the viewer can get pleasure from the violence. Which is Which is the opposite of Rambo 3. Yes. You're supposed to, you know, cheer on um, Sylvester Stallone blowing up <laughs> Soviets. Yeah, well, that that goes to that goes to basic filmmaking. The way you shoot certain things is meant to express different types of emotions out of you. And Rambo, you're supposed to be like, yeah, fuck yeah, America, you know. Mm-hmm. But there are other films that are like, well, uh, this shit's kind of awful, and you're gonna feel awful while you watch this. I can admire that. I I think that's. I'm cool with that. Like, it might be awful, but maybe that's the point. Not everything is meant to be cotton candy covered hot dogs and bacon and whatever the fuck, you know? Like, sometimes it is supposed to be kind of gross. Yeah. I mean, the the film, not food. But, you know, anyway. (laughs) 
hot dogs are kind of gross. Hot dogs are awesome. That's another thing we disagree on. Uh, Jesus, this that's, whole episode. Are you going to be like this the whole? Are you going to disagree with everything I say? I said, why I'm can't you on just, purpose? Why can't you just agree with me on everything? God, Sorry, man. you're so close to being perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but okay, so I haven't seen anything from this. I've never even heard of this movie. So I have no idea what I'm getting into. And you know what, Austin? I fucking love that. Right? Mm-hmm. I love it because so many times in history I have I've seen films that everyone's, oh my god, this movie is amazing. And it's so good. And I love it. And it's amazing. And I watch it. I'm like, man, you built this shit up way too much. Air- Ghostbusters being one of them. I know I'm going to lose viewers, but god damn it, man. This movie was built up to be the greatest fucking comedy of all time. And I watched it. I'm like, it's good. (laughs) You said like a question. It's good. But, you know, I, that's my opinion though. And look, and maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe that was just that. Maybe I set myself up for failure. Maybe I shouldn't have listened. Maybe it should be one of the things where I watched that as a kid, not knowing it and then have my mind blown. But what I was going to say is that it reminds me of our old job Mm -hmm. where we would go into these screenings and, you know, we'd watch a big old blockbuster and we'd kind of have our own expectations about it. And then every once, most of the time we would go in the film that was an independent, a streaming service film that we had no idea who or what it was about, who was in it or what it was about. And you kind of just have to form your opinion in the moment. You know, you can't rely on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb or word of mouth. It's literally... Or even a trailer because you would you'd watch these movies and there's not even a trailer out. They'd... They'd screen this movie so they'd know how to cut the trailer. <laughs> exactly. One of my favorite experiences was the favorite. We got to. Yeah. I could say that, right? Yeah, the movie's out. It won its Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Mm-hmm. I tested the favorite. It's um, one of the best movies I've ever watched. It was amazing. It was. If you're not familiar, uh, um, the favorite directed by Yorgos, something Greek. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I can't. I, I don't know, man. Yorgos Lanthimos. Okay. He directed The Lobster, another fantastic film, uh, mm-hmm. The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and it stars Emma Stone, Livia Coleman, and Rachel Wise. And it's, I had no idea what this film was about, and I walked out in love. In love. It's so good. And it, that's a great experience where you don't know what you're getting in, yourself into. Now, I might be blowing this up, the, the beast, you know, but... I'm excited to form an opinion about it, to watch something that I've never seen or heard of, and to form a fucking opinion about it. That's kind of like my favorite way to watch a movie sometimes, is to know nothing about it. But it is kind of, um, like, not every movie is for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So sometimes if you have no idea what what you're in for, you can be kind of unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, I that's how I felt about Hostel. We had a cable box, and I was just like going through the list of movies, and it was like hostile. And I was like, "Oh, it's on this particular channel. I'll check it out." <laughs> and the first thing that comes up is this white guy tied up to a chair, and this other dude grabs a knife and like cuts his Achilles, and the guy falls, and you see his leg, like kind of his foot, kind of split, and it's just like, "Oh no, I, I, I don't was like not in the mood for this." I, I no, no. <laughs> So you're absolutely right. You could definitely be in the mood for something that you are not keen on. But I like war movies. Always been a big fan. 
And there, this is kind of interesting because this is directed by Kevin Reynolds. Yes, Kevin Reynolds. Uh, shall we go over his discography for our listeners? Discography. His <laughs> filmography. <laughs> yes, please. Go down the list, Austin. Because this is pretty a wild list. So he's directed Fandango, which I don't think I've ever heard no, of. You, you got to start off with the you got to start off with the eighty four, or no? But he, no, he he didn't direct it. He wrote it. Okay, he wrote the original Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze. Ah, oh. mm-hmm. he didn't direct it. He wrote it, but then he would go on to direct Fandango, and then he did The Beast in eighty eight, and then in ninety one, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. A very, very popular movie. With our good boy... Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner. He would work with Kevin Costner like two more times at least in this other movie called Rapa Nui uh, in 94. And then again in 95 with Waterworld. A movie that we for sure have to do an episode on. (laughs) Yes, I 100% agree. I actually watched it a few months ago. Or, oh, really? Mm, like a year ago, actually. Okay. Yeah, a little over a year. And boy, do I have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember liking it as a kid and really liking the stunt show. Um, but yeah. Oh, that stunt show is awesome. It's like Mad Max with water. That's what it is. Yes. Um, oh, that's a perfect pitch. 97187. Which is a movie with Samuel L. Jackson. The first top build. It was the first top build role for Samuel L. Jackson. Man. Wow. You, for, there, you forget that there was a time when he wasn't a big star. It's yeah, wild. Or I, as he far wasn't as, like the main character. Yeah, I've always I've always felt like he was a big Hollywood actor. But, I mean, you know, everyone's got to come up somehow, so. Yeah. And then the, the Count of Monte Cristo, which is 2002. And then 2006, Tristan and Isolde. And then 2016, Risen, which is a very different kind of movie yes. <laughs> compared to everything else. Yes, but that's not it, because he would go on to work on the Western television miniseries Hatfields and McCoys. And do you know what? who stars in that? Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner. <laughs> what? Yep. Man, he's giving Ke- Kevin Costner work. Good for him. And he, but he had a lot of, he got a lot of acclaim from, uh, Hatfields versus McCoy. People really, really dug it. It got a lot of nominations. It won Best Actor for Kevin Costner at the uh, Golden Globes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and, like, some, his, some of his movies are, like, nominated for awards and stuff. And then there's Waterworld, which is the one that probably everybody knows mm-hmm. and everyone associates with, with being really bad. Yes. And Robin Hood as well. I think people have kind of come around on that movie and said it's bad now yeah again it's i don't care robin hood king arthur peter pan these are just things i don't care but (laughs) interesting guy interesting filmography different shot i mean you know different genres the vibe that i get from the beast of war or the beast trailer is not at all what i get from Waterworld or robin hood this man's kind of all over the place so i'm really curious yeah, I will try to f- figure out why this movie didn't get a wide release. Um, I, my, I suspect it's because of the tone and because the, let's see, who did, who released Rambo 3? Sony, TriStar. It's different from 
Was it at the time different from Columbia Pictures? TriStar? Yeah, Sony, because that's all Sony now. Yeah. I wonder oh, if it's. I'm not too. I'm not too sure. We that that should be a that could be something that we look into. Yeah, maybe maybe it's like oh we don't want this to compete with our our uh, franchise so let's put this on two screens and say we tried <laughs> I don't know but we'll find out we we will learn what we can but I'm excited I think this is gonna be I think I'm really I'm really curious as to how this is gonna turn out so yeah and I hope uh, our the guy who recommended this movie is is proud of the episode or is at least enjoying the episode. Yes, here's help. <laughs> he might have checked out at this point. He's like, "What the fuck? I don't want to hear about you." <laughs> okay, never mind. Hopefully, uh, we'll all like agree that it's a good movie. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Um, right. And with that, we will go watch the film. Actually, I found the film right now. It is on Amazon Prime for free. For free, Prime yeah. Video. So, listeners, check the film out along with us. Yeah, let's watch it together. And when we come back, we'll give you our thoughts on it. It's also on uh, a free streaming service called Tubi. It's on Tubi for free, Voodoo for two ninety nine, uh, Pluto TV as Pluto. well. Like, yeah, it's free on three different streaming services. So come on, check it out. And plus, we know you guys have Prime. Like everyone has Prime, <laughs> not for the not for the videos, but because of Prime shipping. So check it out along with us, and we'll get back to you. See ya in a minute. Pashtunwali. It's the code of honor. Pashtunwali. Mm. What are you doing? Now, three obligations. First, milmastia, hospitality. Milmastia. Second, badal, revenge. Badal. Third, nanawate, the obligation to give um, sanctuary to all those who ask. All right. To all. All. Even the enemy. Oh. What if I kill your brother? And you come for Badal. Revenge. And I ask for uh, Nanawati. Then I would be obligated to feed, clothe, and protect you. It's incredibly civilized. What is it? Nanawati. Nana Watte. Nana Watte. Hello, everybody. We are back from watching The Beast. Directed by Kevin Reynolds uh, from 1988, based off of a play by William Mastro Simone or Mastro Simone. The play's called uh, Nana Wate. Fitting title once you watch yeah. the film. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, what were your first impressions of the movie, George? I really, really liked it. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, this thing was super tense and suspenseful. <laughs> I was gonna yeah, say, it really was. I was gonna say it reminds me of the Hurt Locker, <laughs> <laughs> literally taking your thunder. <laughs> oh my god! I just I okay. So for listeners, we recorded this before, but there was an audio issue, and I said how I felt about the movie, and George just copied what I said. No, I didn't. I, you have no proof. There's no proof because I recorded over it. God damn it. You. Hey man, it, there's, I'm not admitting to anything. So it's it like reminded... he tore out the notepad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, okay. You said it reminded you of Hurt Locker. Yeah. Um, which I could see very much so thematically. The way it portrays war are very similar. I was thinking of Fury, but I was thinking about it very surface level because it, that movie's about a tank crew. Yeah. There's about a tank crew, but I agree. This has very much. This is very similar to the Hurt Locker in terms of 
theme and presentation. This is fantastic. It is. I was a little hesitant at first. Mm-hmm. I, again, because I didn't, I've never heard of this movie, so I wasn't sure what to expect. And then actually watching it, I was super tense. It was exciting, but it's also not glorifying war. You know, like it's fucked up. Yeah. And it doesn't ease a lot of its punches. Yeah, mostly. Mostly. There are some moments where it does, but for the most part, I really digged it. I really, really digged it. Yeah. So the, as I said before, it was based off of a play writ, um, called Nanawate. And I tried to like look up like what, what happens in this play? What's this play about? But instead, I found this really cool article currently on medium.com called The Play, The Warlord, and The Beast. It's a part of their War is Boring blog. I don't know. You can find it if you just type uh, The Playwright, The Warlord, and The Beast. And I'll actually link it in our um, episode, description. Episode, episode description. But I could get into that later because it's, it's a very interesting story about how it, was, how it was all written, how this all came to be. But maybe for the listeners out there who don't know what this movie is, we usually um, summarize what the movie is about so that when we talk about specific scenes, you have a frame of reference. But we always encourage you to find the movie for yourself. It is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. If you're a Prime member, you can stream it for free. And it's on uh, IMDb TV. Like if you go into IMDb.com, you can find links there on where to watch it. It's also on Tubi. Tubi, yeah. But in case you don't have time for that, we'll just try to summarize the story and the characters really briefly. Oh, wait, there is something else, right? something else that we need to talk about this movie is about the afghan russian war and like the that started like late seven i think 79 or 1980 and it lasted throughout the 80s it's like Mm -hmm. a almost a 10 year long conflict um so maybe should we provide the background information for that first or should we describe what the move what happens in the movie you know what i'll give a brief summary of the actual war and that way you have a little bit more context for when Austin like what, what started the war. Yes. Because this is a, this a movie takes place during the beginning in 1981. Yes. Well, and to our listeners really quickly, you don't need to have you don't need to know about the Soviet Afghan war to understand this movie. Right. Um, so if you're not interested in it, that's totally fine. You can still watch the film. You you don't need to understand the war, but I think a little bit of context, if you're curious, because just like like if you're like me, you had no idea what the fuck the Soviet Afghan war is. I had no clue. There's that's one of the interesting things about this podcast. It's that it's formed. It's forced me to learn a lot more about yeah. uh, everything that's happening or things that have happened in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Munich was one of them. Yeah. And then because of that, I started watching Generation Kill on HBO, which I will come back to. And the Beast, the real life events that happened in the film kind of to try to understand a little bit more. I researched it and it's kind of interesting. Um, So uh, just a brief history, right? Afghanistan has been always an interesting place. It's called the, uh, it had the name, the graveyard of empires because a lot, (laughs) because it's in the center of all these great superpowers. You've got India, the West, the Far East, and the Middle East, right? They all kind of collide in Afghanistan. And it's been inhabited by a lot of tribal groups. In the early 20th century, Russia and Britain were going all across Asia trying to colonize 
bunch of places, right? Spread their their ideologies and governments and stuff. In the 1960s, you had a king, Muhammad Sahir Shah, who was trying to modernize Afghanistan, right? They were trying to push for elections, political rights, women's education, right? Pretty, mm-hmm. pretty cool shit, right? And then the Cold War started kicking in the high gear. You've got the U.S. and the USSR, and they're both trying to win over Afghanistan. So what they're each doing is they're saying, hey, Afghan, like, let me give you a little something so you could side with us, right? Like the U.S. built a dam and one of the, it built a dam for them. The U, the Russians gave them like access to like education and to electricity and stuff. So they're both trying to win him, right? The king's cousin uh, betrays his cousin, right? It gets yeah, crazy. There's a, in a, there's a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of betrayal in this story, right? There's it's a bloodless coup, though. So he doesn't kill. He doesn't whack his own cousin. Uh, he becomes the president and the prime minister, and he establishes the Afghan Republic in 1973. This is still a few years before the war. Uh, this is six years before the war. And he was also pushing for progressive policies, right? It's like land reform, literacy, yeah, and, they, they, uh, equal rights for women. Things that like don't sound bad. They wanted to modernize Afghan, right? Yeah. But some some ethnic groups didn't like how... Uh, Dao Khan, Sahir's cousin, the guy who betrayed his cousin, the king, then like how he was Pashtun. Pashtun, which is the language or is a culture that's represented in the movie or supposed to be represented in the movie. That's what I was going to say. The people, <laughs> the, 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 the Majahadid in the film speak Pashtun, right? Or they're, well, they're supposed to. We'll come back to that. <laughs> but the problem is Dahoud Khan even though he wanted progressive policies, left-wingers and traditionalists hated him, right? He was cracking down on civil liberties, right? Mm-hmm. There was a revolution, the Saar Revolution in 1978. And out of that, the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, the PDPA, was formed. And it had the Soviet support. Then you had Hafid Lusa Amin take over. And he's the exact same thing. He wants women's rights, socialism, equality. But the policies that he is pushing, that the new prime minister is pushing, is very invasive on rural people. There are people that lived in the mountains that were very traditional. They didn't have, they didn't, they didn't care about the government or the policies. They they just wanted to live their lives. But a lot of these policies were invade, were kind of getting in the way of that. So then they start fighting back and they start protesting. And there's a big protest in 1979. Now, Hafilusa's Amir's president, Nurhamad Tariq, Tarak. Because Taraki, Taraki, he wanted uh, Soviets to like put boots on the ground. And the Soviets were like, no, because if we do that, it's just going to make things worse. Mm-hmm. And I think Amin, Amin and Taraki were like friends. They were together. But the... All these groups, they're like, they're different factions. They're come together, I think. Yes. And Amin and Taraki were like getting on bad terms with each other because Taraki was in charge and it seemed like it went to his head or something. And then Taraki tries to kill Amin, but the assassin doesn't know that it's supposed to be like a secret thing. And he (laughs) ends up letting Amin know. And then Amin is shot at by Taraki's people and then he arrests Taraki and then he kills him by suffocation with pillows. Yeah. And then he's a leader. 
It's look, if if you're getting confused by the names, listeners, just know that a bunch of prime minister presidents are being whacked and killed and betrayed by each other, right? Because there's a bunch of coup every time. Because nobody knows how to how to go about these progressive policies, how to modernize Afghan, right? And I and so, think the the issue is they're trying to force it. Yes, they're destroying villages that are aligned with like the rebels and stuff, and like yeah. you're killing your own people, and it's just making them get more upset and then to to add gas to the fire you've got the ussr army the red army coming in the soviets didn't trust amin either because they thought amin was trying to uh gather favor from the u.s Mm -hmm. so they're like we can't have the u.s in afghanistan because then they're in within missile striking distance to russia to the soviet union so they they go in and kill him and put in a new president or a new prime minister barbak karmal who was a moderate Bar- Man, I'm sorry, guys, listeners. I'm I'm sorry. I'm butchering these names, but Barbark. I'm I'm trying my best here. Barbark Kamal was appointed, and he was a moderate, right? Someone who was who wasn't as radical as Amin. And then you had a lot of tribal warlords and tribal groups being pushed back to the mountains by the invasion, right? So a lot of these tribes, the USSR was this foreign atheist slash orthodox in a group, right? And this led credence. To what they were calling a, 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 a jihad, jihad, the holy war, right? There's like, this is a holy war. There's much bigger than us, right? And that attracted a lot of different people, a lot of soldiers, a lot of uh, financiers. One of them was Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. So basically, the USSR has tanks and helicopters and stuff, and they have the upper hand. But these tribes, right, they go on to form the Mujahideen. They fight guerrilla warfare style. It gets to the point where uh, the Soviets are winning these battles, but they ultimately lose the war. They withdraw. The new general secretary of the USSR, Mikhail Gorbachev, he's super anti-war. So in 1988, he signs the Geneva Accords, withdrawing the Red Army from Afghanistan. And in 1989, they officially, the Red Army officially leaves Afghan. Like, I think the the US gave... And several other countries, they gave the Mujahideen weapons like they couldn't do airstrikes anymore because they got their hands on anti-aircraft missiles, anti-aircraft launchers. Yeah. So it's like the Cold War is basically, hey, go fight our enemies for us. Exactly. It's it's the same thing. People compare uh, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan to the American invasion of Vietnam. And man... We got our asses whooped. Same way <laughs> Russians did. It's really interesting. Because I was thinking that exactly. You had these two, two superpowers that brought in so much so much weaponry and so much machinery. And we got our asses whooped. Right? And yeah. then the Russians got their asses whooped too. And we see something like that take place in this film. Yeah. So so basically, yeah, that's just the basically the spark notes. Uh, the spark notes. The spark notes of the Soviet Afghan war, right? Now you now you know why yeah. the why the Russians are in Afghanistan, why that was even a thing in the first place. Yeah, and there's it's a there's a kind of uh I don't know if this will make it into the episode, but they tried to assassinate Amin uh twice before. Like they tried to put poison in his coke, but the coke diluted the poison. <laughs> oh my <laughs> like god. The Coca-Cola. <laughs> Try to poison his Coca-Cola, but the Coca-Cola diluted the poison. <laughs> Try to poison his food, but they the Soviet 
people at the embassy or whatever, they didn't know that it was an assassination attempt, so they gave him medical help. And he survived the poisoning of his food. Jesus Christ. And on top of that, he, he survived assassination attempts from his, his former comrade. Mm-hmm. It's wild. It's it's a it's a lot of betrayal and some crazy shit. I'm telling you, man, I'm yeah. learning a lot more about the Middle East. And holy shit, is it a is it a story to tell? So here we are in in, in the events of this movie. This movie takes place early on in the war. It takes place in 1981. I don't think this is based off of a true story, but it's the writer went to Afghanistan during in the middle of the conflict and kind of took inspiration from the people he met there and the the crazy things that he saw. And let's say it. So it takes place in 1981. It starts off with these people in the village. They're like just waking up and they're just doing chores. Everything's normal. Everything's peaceful. And then all of a sudden there's explosions and it's a convoy of tanks just rolling through and just destroying every building. And people are trying to run away. There's a few bodies in the rubble. So they definitely blew up some people. And there's one one guy, I don't know if I wrote down his name, but he's like, he's the Khan, I guess. That's his title of, of this village or this group of people. And he's trying his best to like fight against the tanks. Two tanks kind of like hang out in the village and they have to catch up with the convoy. And one of those tanks gets fire Molotov cocktailed by the Khan. And then the other tank, uh, they try to save the other other people in there but then the Khan gets his gun on one of one of the main characters uh Konstantin Korverchenko played by Jason Patrick I think we're just gonna call him Konstantin right yeah because it's the easier name to say yeah I was gonna say points his gun at Konstantin and it doesn't fire and he gets beaten up and then the commander of the tank Daskal he's like the main antagonist he's like bring him over put him under the tank wheel (laughs) and he has he has a translator, a navigator who is supposed to be Afghanis, Afghani. Uh, he's played by Eric Avari. So he's Eric Avari is not Afghani. He's Indian. I don't think there's any Afghani actors in this movie. Well, we'll, we'll which, come back to that. We'll come back to that. Yeah. He has Samad, uh, the translator slash navigator, make the Khan tell him where are the rest of the rebels. And of course, the Khan won't tell him. And then he has uh, the the tank driver, Constantine, drive over him slowly to the protests of the women of the village. And then they're like, this is what happens to rebels. And then they, they leave. But because they had spent the extra time doing this, they've kind of lost where the convoy is going. And they get lost in this valley. And right away, some of the rebels, rebels that live there they're like that takes lost we should go we should go get it this group they're basically trying to catch up to this tank because they know the valley they know there's only one way in and one way out and the the crew of the 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 tank people they're slowly starting to like the the dusk duskal the commander the tank commander he's like kind of going crazy he thinks that samad is working against them stephen baldwin plays a character called golikov who is like the guy who's kind of in the middle he like he's just really scared and then there's kaminsky who's like the the commander's right hand man he's behind every sadistic thing that Descal wants to do and constantine is like the moral 
character, I guess. He's kind of he reminds me of Jon Snow. He's like, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. And eventually Duskal kills Samad in cold blood. Uh, their tank gets hit by stuff. It's it's le leaking oil. Kaminsky's been using brake fluid to to drink alcohol to make his own homebrew. And Duskal is, is he thinks that Constantine is a weak link. So he leaves him on a rock to die in the desert. He ties in. He ties in up almost crucifixion style. Yeah. Hands and feet tied and come and they put a grenade. They take the pin. They place a grenade behind his head. Right. And they take the pin off. The only thing that's saving Constantine is his head is the weight of his head laying on the handle of the grenade. So if he moves, Kaminsky says this. Need anything? Just nod. As in, if you lift your head, the grenade's gonna gonna go off and kill you. Yeah, it's fucking uh, brutal. <laughs> it's so brutal. So they leave him in the desert, and then these the rebels, uh, the Khan's brother actually, who's now the new Khan, Taj, played by Stephen Bauer, who is Manny from Scarface. If if you remember Scarface, he finds uh, Constantine and Constantine was kind of friends with Samad and he asks him about some of the tenets of his culture. And he tells him this word, Nanawate, which is like the person you say it to has to give you shelter. Even if they're your enemy, they have to like give you shelter as long as you're with them. So he says the word and they're like, how the fuck do you know our language? What the hell? And then they're like, well, they left, the Russians left him to die, so maybe he'll help us. So he, he fixes an R, the RPG for them, so now they have a fighting chance against the tank. They're trying to, like, talk to each other without knowing a language. And eventually they come to an agreement. Constantine, you're going to help us kaboom the tank. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Constantine's like, yeah, I'll kaboom tank. <laughs> Which is literally the line in the movie. No, it, they that's how they communicate. Hey, man, if you don't if you don't share a common tongue, that's what you got to go with. Some you got to go the simplest way possible. Yeah, kaboom tank. Eventually, they catch up to the tank. Dascal he had the opportunity to leave via helicopter, but he's like this proud soldier, and he doesn't want to leave his tank behind. So the helicopter he just takes fuel from the helicopter and he sends them off, and they have to like traverse back through the desert that they were just lost in and escape. But uh, Constantine and Taj and the rebels, they stop them and he shoots the RPG, but it misses. And then they're like, damn, we just lost. But the women from the village, they had grenades and they blow up a rock and the rock comes down and immobilizes it. And then when they drag the soldiers out, they're about to like kill them. But Constantine's like, no, we can't kill them. They'd, they're prisoners. We have to let them go. And Taj is like, he's okay with this. He's like, are you an angel or a devil? And then they just let him go. But the women, they find Duskal, the, the commander, the guy who ordered K Constantine to drive the tank over the Khan in the village. They kill him off screen. And then they bring his bloody boots back. And then Constantine sees the bloody boots. and He's like, what the fuck? Am I going to be next? The, another helicopter comes by because the tank they see the tank there and the rebels all leave. But Constantine, he's like, no, I'm going to go back to Russia because I don't I don't know if I can have a place here. So he leaves the rebels and and uh, that's the end of the movie. 
Whereas the other and the other two, uh, Kolikov and Kaminsky, they're left to walk the rest of the way. <laughs> so they're Is spared. This... But I mean, they could die. You know, they yeah. don't have water. They don't have it. They don't have weapons to protect them. So if they run into other rebels. They're fucked. They're not going to agree to the Nanawate. They they don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's they the didn't fun- learn the language. That's the funny thing. It's they because Con- C- Constantine takes the time to talk to Samad and and Samad explains these are the three virtues that we live by, right? And he explains Nanawate yeah. because he's curious about the cr- culture because he cares about at least understanding an aspect of it. He's able to use that to help him. Yeah, nobody else gives a damn. They don't give a fuck. They they treat Samad like he's a second class citizen, even though he's on their side. Things go wrong in the mission because they've been separated from their convoy. They're lost in this desert. They don't know where they're going. The map's this destroyed. Tank, the map's destroyed. The Molotov cocktail like singed part of it of the map, uh, which is really in this. I think my favorite thing about this movie is the fact that everything comes back. Everything yeah, comes back. They they set up and pay off a lot of things. And it's like, it's almost like the movie for me flows really well because every scene makes sense. It's following the progression of what happened before it, which that's what a movie should do. But a lot of times movies Absolutely. will introduce these things that are random or, and they don't pay off. And it's just to, it's very confusing and you're not sure. This movie flows very well. The pace is extraordinarily amazing. It's It clocks it at just under two hours. But every scene has a certain purpose. It pushes something. It brings people together. Or I knew that I was in the right hands when the movie started just because of how brutal it was. And when they brought in Nana Wate, I was like, this is going to come back. This <laughs> is going to come back. And when it did, you're like, all right. I. It's like the person in charge of this movie knows what he's doing. Definitely. It's like that the entire way, right? Um when the tanks survived the RPG blast, they talked, they mentioned earlier how these yeah. tanks were better, how they didn't yeah, take as. Cause Duskal, the tank commander, he's like talking about how he's been in a tank that had was hit by an RPG and the commander and turret were immediately blown away, but he survived. But the tanks now are better, much better. <laughs> so do you always have that uncertainty that, Oh, it might not work. And it doesn't work. But through the uh, throughout the entire film, the women want revenge, right? Uh, well, they have a phrase for it. Badal. And the men, the the rebels are like, no, go back to your village, you know, like fuck out of here. You don't. You, what weapons do you have? And the women show that they have these grenades. And, and then there's that that one older guy in the rebels who's like reciting proverbs of like, oh well, the tank is the Goliath, and you know Goliath was defeated by rocks. And they're, they're like, we, I am the rock. I'm the, the RPG is the rock. But then at the end, the tank is literally defeated by rocks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that's incredible, right? Like, I, I know it's like bare minimum, like screenwriting 101, but very few films actually really pull it off well to the point where it gives you that catharsis of, oh, wow. Yes. Like, that's how it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think. When people complain about a film being too predictable, that's not really a, a, a valid complaint, I think, because it should be right. If you're if you hear stories a lot, you know that they have certain patterns and you have a certain flow. It should be somewhat predictable. Things shouldn't come out of out of nowhere. I agree 100 percent. 
Absolutely. I, I that's why I'm the same way as well. When people say a movie's predictable, um, what I think they mean to say is that a movie's boring, right? Yeah. Or that it's yeah. B- because what makes films with twist endings so interesting is that you really didn't see it coming. But if you had been paying more attention, it was set up all along, right? But most films don't have amazing world changing twists and stuff. You know, they, yeah, you could kind of see where they're going. So when people are like, ah, oh, this movie's predictable, it's like, well, you've seen enough movies to know what's going to happen. And number yeah. two, I think that's, I think that's indicative of a bigger problem that you weren't engaging enough with it, where the film wasn't setting up and paying enough enough. It, it didn't have enough setup and payoffs. It, it didn't have you in suspense because yeah, I kind of saw some of the things coming. Like I saw Nanawate. I I knew that the women were going to come back eventually, but it was yeah, still tense. See, it was still. You see them with their grenades and I'm like, she didn't give those grenades to the guy. I, I think those grenades are still in play. Yeah. And then Wait. even, oh my God, the, and things when you watch it over again, then you notice, you, you see things that lead up to the twist. It's like a, a, a treat for a second viewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Skull, he has this story about how he became a soldier. When he was eight years old. He used to be dropped down onto Nazi tanks and you'd throw Molotovs in there. And what happens in the beginning of this film? Molotov. The dude throw. comes in with the Molotov and wipes the tank out and singes the map. The map that he needs to escape the valley. That Molotov effectively beat that tank. Yeah. You think about it. Oh, absolutely. And it cinches the part of the map that would have showed them <laughs> that they were, that they, what, what's it called? That, uh, that, uh, yeah. um, Delman Louise gap in the mountain. What's, <laughs> what's it? The, I don't know. The, the crevasse? I, the, I think it's a crevasse. Canyon? Yeah, you know, it, there's like a big opening that they can't, that the tank obviously can't cross. And it just so happened that that part of the map was singed. It's just, yeah. it just, there's a lot of irony, a lot of dramatic irony. They set up and pay off a lot of things really well. It's really tense and suspenseful. Mm-hmm. It all makes sense, too. Like, it, there's no moment where it's like, well, this is a dumb thing. I never said that. Like, I... I really can't recall a moment where I was like, well, that was a stupid decision. Now, look, I'm there's not one like, of these. For me, there's like just stuff at the end that's like, did this really need to happen? Like, like what? when um, Taj is running across the street with the rocket. Well, OK. And then he has to like throw the rocket back. Like it's kind of tense in the moment. But but you're kind of like, Taj, what the fuck? Why yeah. you have the rocket? Right? You know? OK, actually, now that you pointed that scene out. Yes, you're right there. That is a dumb moment. But I guess, you know, people do make weird decisions in in combat because it's so like stressful and anxiety inducing like the the freaking tank commander he refuses to give up his well that's more of a character thing his his pride but that that, i mean he refuses to give up his tank because that's just his pride you know he prides himself in being on being the commander of this tank so when people are like oh it's stupid why didn't he leave no you're missing the point this man is mad he's 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 uh, insane. It's funny because the you could say the same thing about the Soviet invasion. Like this is going bad. Why don't you just leave? But <laughs> their pride, their pride, ego, the uh, sunk he, cost fallacy. Yeah, well, the what? The sunk cost fallacy. What is that? Where like you you put so much time and effort into something and it's not working, but you're you've spent all this time and money into it. You better see it through. Oh, that's like me every time I play Siege. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like, I've already been playing for five hours. I've lost every match I'm in. But if I keep playing, I might turn it around. Yeah. <laughs> and I never win. Yeah. No, I was going to say, that's that's one of the interesting things. It's, I'm not one of these people that complains about character doing stupid, stupid things makes the movie bad. You hear this criticism a lot with horror films. Well, the characters are stupid because they, you don't go into the basement of a house out in the forest because that's horror movie 101. Well, people do stupid shit all the time. Yeah, like, we just lived I, in a pandemic where people did really stupid shit. <laughs> yes. Th thank you. So <laughs> characters doing dumb shit in movies is not really a big problem. Sometimes it gets annoying, right? Hey, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Sometimes it is annoying, but I'm willing to give some leniency towards that. And this is a, this is a movie where I'm willing to give that leniency because you're right. Taj is kind of stupid for running, <laughs> for crossing the path. Knowing that he has the rocket. <laughs> it, it was like a really tense, but almost kind of comical moment. Yeah, it was. He he's he gives like a big shrug. You know? <laughs> it, but it reminded honestly, me of that that uh Michael Jordan thing where he's playing quarters with his uh with a head of security and the head of security gives a shrug when he beats Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> but it honestly does not hurt my enjoyment at all. It's very tense and it's well made. Like we're talking about the yeah. story beats and the characters, but like even technically, like the cinematography is on point. There are scenes where they just have these close-ups on people. Like there's a close-up on the skull that is very uncomfortable. It's right. You're right oh, yeah. in front of his face and he's staring at the camera. The camera is from Samad's perspective. Yeah, it was and right after he they like poisoned the water hole with this like I'm sure it must be some kind of war crime with whatever gas that they're using. Yeah. But they poisoned the the water and then they parked the tank super far away. And when the rebels are there getting the water and then one of their guys dies, they are trying to shoot them with the tank shell. And Samad hands the tank shell to Kaminsky and then the shell misfires and Daskal suspects Samad did something on purpose to help the rebels. It makes you kind of feel how like certain 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 people uh, uh, different minorities feel when they're passing by that one that one Karen that just gives them that look. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just mm, no, you know what I mean? That's how it felt. And it's really intense by how close the camera is. You know, and it it doesn't constantly do that. It the film has other techniques, but it's so well done, and the action scenes are really riveting too. And the sound design, because you have a bunch of tanks firing, a bunch of shells and flamethrowers and machine guns, and it's it all sounds really great. There's a lot of good filmmaking in this film. Yeah, well, I really like the film. It's not perfect. There are a few moments where it gets a little '80s cheesy. Uh, there's one part where T Taj uh, is like, Allah, why have you forsaken us? Yeah, that, that kind of took me out of it a little bit. Yes. I think it's because of the shot. You know, it's just so dramatic. It's yeah. like, it's like a little too much, I think. It's so, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's the only shot that, that was like not really working for me in terms of composition. Uh, it was just, and it looked so cheap too. And it was just, <laughs> and Taj... The actor, she just played it way too, like, uh, disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Another thing, 
that kind of threw me off. And it might lead into why the film wasn't released widely. Because this is about the Soviet-Afghan war, right? So this is between right. Russians yeah, I and know the Afghans, say. right? Mm-hmm. There are no Russians in this movie. Well, <laughs> and I don't there know are no any Af- of the act- actors are of Russian descent, but they're not speaking Russian, and they're not speaking in Russian accents. They are all speaking American English. Yeah. Like, these motherfuckers have cowboy accents almost. Not really, yeah. but that's just 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 letting you know what these guys sound like. Because my yeah. dad was watching the film with me. He's like, wait, are these are these Americans? It's like, no, they're Russians. And he's like, why the fuck do they sound like Americans? Whoa! <laughs> yeah! Okay! Get back in the tank. What for? Because I said so. <laughs> We're going home, sir. In the tank. Why can't we go home in a fucking helicopter? Because you're tankers. Yeah, you're also in a cul-de-sac. There's only one way out of this valley. Back through that pass you came through. They did like, the same thing in, in Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Yes! That's <laughs> yeah. what I was going to bring up. I was like... Yes, it's it's the exact same thing. Chernobyl to show on HBO talking about the Chernobyl incident uh, with the uh, nuclear reactor, right? right? It has a large British cast and they do not do Russian accents. They don't even they don't speak Russian. They don't have Russian accents. They speak British tea English. All right. <laughs> and this movie has the exact same thing. And it kept throwing me the fuck off. Also, the the Afghani people, they're not played by Afghani actors. Like some of them are Indian. Stephen Bauer is Cuban, who's the Taj, who's like one of the main guys. Um, Samad, Eric Avari, he's Indian as a lot of uh, Israeli Jews. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there are any Afghan actors, maybe some of the extras. I don't know. I think it. It attempts to portray their culture earnestly, at least. Yes. Well, that's that was something that I wanted to say was, you know, war films can be portrayed in a whole bunch of different ways. You could have it in the you could portray them in a sexy kind of glossy, high intense setting. Right. Um, And then you could have it super gritty and gorilla style and super gnarly. And you could have films that don't really deal with the actual fighting, but the emotional turmoil that the soldiers are going through. And then the other have films that ignore all of that for the, for the action, right? A lot of different ways to portray war. Mm -hmm. And this is a weird film because it's kind of a mix of a few of those things. It, it is concerned about having cool action scenes, right? Especially the ending where uh, Constantine and the rebels are chasing the tank. Really high intense, super fun to watch, like great action. But the film's actually concerned about portraying the rebels in a humanizing way. Like, they're not just these random villagers that had it coming, you know? They're The movie they're, starts with them, like it, just waking up, starting their day. There's not one of them where we're like, oh, we have to get the Soviet infidels. Uh, and we have to rape their country. And no, it did nothing. There's nothing like that. They 
The, yeah. No, they never say that. They're like, these guys are killing our people. Like, they're fucking running them over tanks. That was uncalled for, bro. Yeah. You and didn't because have, he... <laughs> if you Like, you could have killed him. Like, shot him in the head. But you had to... You had to place him under a tank and run him over. And you left his carcass there. His stamp, his stampede carcass so we could all see. Fuck you, man. Like, I, even I was saying that. I was like, fuck these fools. He made the women watch, too. Yeah. Again, he kills Samad, right? Who does nothing wrong? He's on their side. And a lot of the screen time is, is spent with the rebels. Yeah. I would say almost half of the film is spent with the rebels. It starts off with them. You see the destruction that's left behind after the first battle. And you see people, you see babies crying. The women are just mortified. The men, the Taj, is crying about his uh, his brother or his cousin. No, not his, his cousin. His, his brother. His brother. So, so the guy that Constantine runs over is actually Taj's brother. When the rebels are chasing the tank. Right. They're following the tracks. They find this little oasis, this little body of water. One of them goes, it's hot as fuck, man. It looks hot. I was sweating yeah. watching this movie. <laughs> and when you see this water, I would have done the exact same thing the first guy did. You go over and you drink it and then you find out it was poisoned. And this, uh, this yeah. dude dies a slow death. There's another guy that. um, Oh, what happens to him? I think. They they booby trap uh, the. <gasps> tank shell that was um that misfired the dude sees the shell and he runs over to it but it's been booby trapped and he explodes and like he's just like a torso and a head with one arm barely alive they, they leave him to the rebels leave him behind with food and water and they're like there's not much we could do and moose mustafa mustafa uh who is taj the the cousin of uh, the cut taj's cousin he mercy kills him yeah and he he does it pretty dispassionately but i think it was a good thing that he did he mercy killed him and mustafa's kind of a douchebag but yeah he's even a douchebag is still presented as someone who is willing to do the hard thing it's it really humanizes the rebels and the people that were mm -hmm. fighting the russians in afghanistan it's i was very impressed by that especially from a film from the 80s yeah one of the side, the one, I don't think this was intentional, but one of the side effects that the use of language, the use of the American accent had on me was that I knew these were Soviet characters, but I kept thinking about American troops and I kept thinking mm -hmm. like, exactly. I kept thinking like, you know what? I am a hundred percent. I'm 99%. No, I'm a hundred percent sure. I'm a hundred percent sure that. At every point, at every war that the American troops have been in, some of them have done some awful things. Like yeah. World War One, World War II, Vietnam. We definitely did some Korea. evil shit in Vietnam. Korean War. Hell, even in the Af and even in the invasion of Iraq. Like oh, yeah. don't believe me? Watch Generation Kill on HBO. <laughs> That's literally about the invasion of Iraq. And you have the army and the troops doing some super fucked up things. And that was written by Evan Wright who was a Rolling Stones writer who followed them and he documented <laughs> yeah. all of this. So I kept being, I was like, I know these are Russians and they did some fucked up things, but I cannot help but think about the American troops that have the, to the, to those troop few troops that have like gone batshit crazy in war and done shit like this. It, there's a, 
I think there was a, a movie called The Kill Team, I think, which was a film about some American soldiers that covered up a murder of, of, a, of a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in, in Iraq. Basically, the director made a documentary about it, and then he made like a fictional, a fictionalized representation of the, of the event. U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan, they they killed people and put guns on them, and said they were part of the insurgency there. <laughs> it's it's awful. There's there's just a bunch of awful things that people do in armed conflicts like this. Watching this film definitely gets you thinking about all the atrocities. That have been caught, that have been done in war. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the beautiful thing about this film. Yeah, you're watching it and you're enjoying it from a film, like a from a audience perspective in, in terms of a movie, exciting, suspenseful, tense. You know, it's it's enjoying enjoyable that way. But it's also it also gets you thinking, and you can't yeah. help but just reflect on the nature of war itself. And I fucking dig that. That's one of my. I've mentioned it on the show before, but if uh, if you guys don't remember, one of my favorite things is a film that can entertain me but make me think. Like for me, those those are the best two things that a movie can make me do. That's why Children of Men is one of my favorite films because it's enjoyable as a film, as a piece of entertainment, but it also makes you think about the world and the state of things and certain ideas yeah. and policies. And this one does it really well too. There's there's this line that. Uh... Um, Constantine has towards the end of the movie when they captured the Russians. He recalls Daskal's story of how he burned Nazis, killed so many Nazis in tanks. And Constantine says to him, how is it that we're the Nazis now? Yeah. And he says it in the, in the American accent. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is kind of relevant. How is it that we oh. just like find the right moment to watch these movies? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it it wasn't intended that way, but it just has a new meaning Mm -hmm. given the times that we're in. Uh, Same thing happened with Blues Brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's just it's funny. That's that's why we do this fucking show retrograde because it's cool to revisit it, see how it holds up in modern times. Uh, Do you want to hear about how this movie came to be? Yes, let me know, because I'm curious, because you were talking about it before the show, and you piqued my curiosity. Okay, so basically, this movie started as a play. Playwright, William Mastro Simone, he was interested in the Afghanistan war uh, because he saw something in the New York Times, where he he read about a Mujahideen leader who he quotes him, we're going to fight to the last man, to the last bullet. Right now, my men are eating tree bark to stay alive. And he's like, man, this is crazy. I need to understand the the people over there. So he tries to go to Afghanistan, but it's not easy to go to Afghanistan in the 80s. So he like makes friends with uh, like people at a restaurant and then they take him over or they they tell him how he, they tell him to okay we'll go to Pakistan and then wait for us there and he's like what wait for you that's great when are you gonna be there we'll get there when we get there <laughs> he's like fuck that and then eventually he's like obsessed with this idea so he eventually he goes he meets the people in Pakistan and they take him over to Afghanistan and he's like well before you go in we have to make sure the leader's okay with it. And he's like, well, what if the leader says no? And they're like, well, then you can't go in. 
And he's like, I just spent five grand, all the money I have in the world to get here. He better let me in. And then they meet the leader. And the leader's like nice to him, lets him in. And then he follows them on their on their patrols and stuff. And they end up. Well, he later finds out that the leader also gave orders to like throw acid at women's faces that were uncovered in the marketplace. So he's not really a good guy, but he's nice to he's nice to the reporter or he's nice to Master Simone. I mentioned this article before. I'll link it in the description if you'd like to read it yourself. Any listeners out there or you, George. So he's with them and they ambush a tank column. It's like a convoy of tanks. They put dynamite down to destroy the first tank and then they destroy the last tank so that the other tanks are trapped. So they capture all these guys and then they take they get the the playwright who can translate from Russian to um, Pashto, which is the language that the, the people speak in that region. And then that the guy would translate to English. So then Master Simone is like, well, if we what happens after I'm done asking the Russian, the captured Russians questions? And they're like, well, then we're going to kill them. <laughs> and he's like, I'm very uncomfortable by this. I don't want any part of it. So he, he turns around and then he hears like machine gun fire killing all the Russians. So he's like in it right now. And I think this is when he knows he's in it. And then he gets sick and they, they're like, well, we can't keep bringing you with us if you're sick and you can't move. We have to keep going. So um, go with God. Here's a gun with two bullets. And if God wants, if Allah wants you to live, you'll live. And if not, well, I guess you'll, you'll die here. So they leave him there and he ends up being saved by villagers. And they take him in, they, they give him food and stuff. And then the group of rebels come back and they're like, hey, you made it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And he's like, I guess he's he feels like he should be mad, but he's not really upset with them. And then he uh, ends up going back to the States and he writes this this play, Nanawate, which I'm assuming is just like the movie, because the director of the movie of the movie Ke Reynolds, Kevin Reynolds, I think he finds the playwright and he's like, dude, let's make a fucking movie. So they go to Israel and film the movie there and everything. But the studio, the studio at the time was Columbia Pictures, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Columbia Pictures goes through a change of ownership and they're already making something about the Afghanistan Russian war that's way more commercially viable. What's the movie? Rambo 3. Oh shit, yeah, you mentioned this. <laughs> Duh. Okay. Okay, makes sense. I was trying I was digging real yeah. hard. I was like, I feel like he said this before. Yeah. Rambo 3. So they're like, why do we need two of these movies? We don't need two of these movies. Let's just fulfill our contract and ha have this movie screen in New York and LA for a few weeks and then it's over and done with it. And that's what happened to this movie. Rambo 3 basically killed it. Fucking Rambo. <laughs> Fuck was, Rambo, was, man. <laughs> was Rambo even was Rambo 3 even good? No. It has a it currently holds a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. It made money. I think it was one of the highest grossing movies of the year. Well, yeah. I, well, there it you got go. A wide release. It has Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> it's the third one in the franchise. Yeah. It was the last one for a while, too. 
until uh, Hollywood saw the the value in nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, um, two thousand eight um, Rambo, and the recent yeah. one, Last yeah, Stand. Is, or these the fucking last Rambo one is titles. one of the, the <clears throat> last one is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god, it's so bad. Really? Huh. Well, yeah. So that's why this movie didn't get the wide release. Basically, the studio was like, we're not going to do two of these movies in the same year, which is something that is a thing that people are afraid of. Like we talked about it in our Independence Day episode, how they were already doing Mars attacks. Mm -hmm. So they weren't going to do Independence Day. So then they reverse engineered an idea of an alien invasion movie that would take place before Mars Attacks was going to go into theaters. But it's just weird how like sometimes certain films with like almost the same premise come out in the same year. I was thinking of Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down. It's the same, pr yeah. the same principle, yet they're released in the same year. And I'm just like, both of those films did decent as far as I know. I'm like, yeah. this one could have done decent too. It's just yeah, fucking... it, it, it happens, but the fear... Because uh, the studios, they're they're putting up a lot of money for these movies mm -hmm. and they want to see a return. So they're going to act in the way that they think makes the most sense financially. Even though, like you just said, both of those movies were a success. And I yeah. think, um, <clears throat> was it Deep Impact and Armageddon released in the same year as well? Yeah, that, that's another duo. I think there's a list of these movies, like movies with similar premises that came out in the same year, like Deep Impact yeah. on Armageddon to the same one. Uh, White House Down in, and Olympus Has Fallen, another one. I think in this case, though, it's because it's the same studio and yeah. they don't want to compete against themselves. So they kill one project in favor of the more commercially viable one. I guess, but they could have just pushed it to another year, 89. It would have been relevant then because 89 was the year the Soviets uh, left Afghanistan. It could have it yeah. could have worked. This is a year yeah. before that happened. This movie was released a year before that happened. They could have just postponed it, kept it, kept in it. I, granted, they might have lost some money by just having a property that. But they lost money because there was no way they could. I mean, what did they do? Syndicate this to TV, uh, TV channels, to, to TV stations and. It's just, I don't know. No, I think there could have been a better way of handling this movie. Yeah, probably. But I think sometimes they'll like, they'll bite the bullet. <clears throat> I think it happened with Donnie Darko because Donnie Darko starts the plane crash and that was supposed to come out after 9 11. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, well, we can't have a plane crash in a movie. So they just bit the bullet, did a small release, and the movie later became a cult hit. But when it was released, it didn't get like a fair chance. I mean, it, it fucked Spider-Man, too, except Sony is a big studio that they were able to repay or they were able to take out um, the Twin Towers and stuff. But they cut that and, trace. They cut that teaser down like they took it yeah. down. But then it, they made it more about like New York, New Yorker solidarity. You know, yep. you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Yep. <laughs> so and that people wanted to see that. And I'm, I guarantee you that had something to do with its uh, success. I'm I'm still kind of bummed out that this film didn't get the get the uh, get the attention it deserved, but you know what? I'm that's the beautiful thing about streaming, right? We always come back to streaming and we talk about the downs and ups and downs of streaming. And now that this is on Amazon Prime, I'm sure a lot of people are watching it too, or a lot more than ever would have before, right? Probably. 
Because if this, because I guarantee you, if this were on a shelf in Blockbuster, I would have never fucking seen this movie. And I scoured those shelves like a motherfucker, always looking for something. And I'm sure this would have fallen down the cracks. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't think the the actors are very uh, recognizable. Like I don't know, like Jason Patrick is pretty much the main character, right? Constantine. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Baldwin, but he's not that big either in '88. He's not the Baldwin that everybody knows. Mm. He's this is the same Baldwin from Biodome and The Usual Suspects. It's really interesting because in a weird way, that lack of superstar power really lent a lot of suspense to the film because you really didn't know who was going to live or die. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like, I kind of thought Constantine was going to die. Like when I, the I camera so pan, when it, when it tilts up, I'm like, oh, now we're going to hear the explosion. He's, he's going to be dead. With the grenade, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's really tense and it just felt like, oh, my God, any one of these characters could die. You know, if you have Brad Pitt in the film, you know, he's not going to die. Uh, or Leo. That's what makes The Departed so re- so cool at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but it was spoiler yeah. for The Departed if you haven't seen it. Go fucking watch the movie. Come on. But really interesting backstory. That's why it wasn't released widely. They just took they just bit the bullet. Mm hmm. God. That's what this article says. Um, and the the uh, the writer, the playwright, Mastro Simone, you can look him up and he's done a lot of other stuff. I think he is a little bit sad that this movie didn't get the recognition he thought it deserved. I mean, according to his story, he almost died for this movie. Yeah. Or for this story. I would have been upset, too. A hundred percent, especially with how well this film turned out. Oh, man. And then uh, he said that or in this article, it says that this movie is kind of celebrated in Afghanistan. Oh, is it? Yeah. But I couldn't find anything to uh, to support that. But according to this article, this movie is a big hit in Afghanistan. Did we talk about the helicopter? We didn't talk about the helicopter being poisoned as well. No, we never did mention that. That goes back to uh, how everything is, is there for a reason. Yeah, yeah, how everything kind of just, it's very much what's introduced comes back, but it also, that scene yeah. has a very symbolic meaning. It's just how the atrocities of war affect anyone indiscriminately, it, it, it indiscriminately attacks everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Because the Russians, the tank crew, poisoned that body of water and they killed the helicopter crew. <laughs> yeah, it's funny for a variety of reasons because he thought, he blamed Samad for not throwing the can far away enough because now the rebels found it. They know it's poisoned. Only one of them drank it. Bad Samad. Mm-hmm. But when the, the helicopter, the helicopter that finds the tank, the only reason that they were flying over the valley was because they were looking for water. Mm-hmm. And as a person who watches movies, I'm like, oh, these guys just poisoned the water hole. I wonder if, what happens if the helicopter finds that. That watering hole, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it happens. <laughs> they find they find the same watering hole. And it's actually funny because that happens. They that happens in the very first scene of the film. Once they're finished with their invasion of that little of the village, you see the troops with gas masks. One of them grabs one of those gas grenades or one of those poisoning things and tosses it down a well of water. Yeah. At the village. Right mm-hmm. before the, a tank, right before one of the tanks blows up the they're like church or they're like um, uh, their tower. Yeah. And they like destroy their their livestock, too. Oh, yeah. The sheep. Yeah. It was part of the uh, Soviet strategy to like 
the guerrillas would keep going back to their villages right after attacking the Soviet outposts. So they're like, okay, well, we're going to just burn everything so that they have nowhere to go back to. and It'll demoralize them. Didn't the Americans do the same thing in Vietnam? Yep. And I think they did the same thing in maybe Korea. I don't know. I don't, um, I'm not sure about the atrocities in Korea. I think, uh, what's the name that, that show? Um, Lovecraft oh. Country? It, sh- it shows some of the things that the Americans did in Korea. I'm like, oh my God, that's awful. Uh, man, ooh, we, there's a whole list. Yeah. Uh, going back to the paint, setting up and paying off thing real quick. Um, <clears throat> they set up and pay off the dogs. Yeah, they did. Because the dogs are the first shot of the film, I think. The dogs. They, they go over the corpse that was left. Or the, the person that Mustafa kills, uh-huh. you see the dogs like pick at his body. Yeah. So well, you know that the dogs are out there. Well, you know, you know that the dogs, the first, op- the first shot of the film is the dogs waking up, right? That's the first shot of the film. Mm-hmm. And then oh, you get yeah. them, then you get them going over the body. And then when Constantine is tied up, you see those dogs. Oh my God, that scene was intense. I thought they were going to tear him apart. Yeah. And then the grenade falls and it thankfully it doesn't damage him, but it kills one of the dogs. That's little things like that. Like right from the first shot, you're already you're already doing something. That is mm-hmm. that is great storytelling. That is economic as fuck. Yeah. It's and I not- think that's why like Taj running across the street, it like it feels off because it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's it's been set up before, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. It, it um, feels the, like it's there to make the, the battle more exciting because yeah. they, yeah. Which it does. It does. It does make it a little exciting, albeit at the cost of the realism that's been shown before. Because even leading up to that specific moment in the final battle, uh, Tosh is right behind Con- Constantine. Mm-hmm. Constantine's the one leading it, you know, um, or not leading it, but he's the one who's like chasing after the. Of the, the tank he's gunning yeah. for it yeah um it's... and like in that moment i like i get it you know because they left him for dead fuck G- those dudes man G- uh gorb what's his name golikov golikov he he tells golikov golikov you're next like if you don't help me he's gonna come after you next and golikov is like i can't help you i'm sorry so fuck you golikov you know, he has no loyalties to those people in the tank anymore. I felt so, bad for Golikov. He's an idiot. But I yeah. felt bad for him because he seemed like the kid that just got stuck in, in war. The people, the two people I was like, you should ice these motherfuckers. The Skull and Kaminsky. It's like, I mean, fuck Kaminsky too, man. Yeah, what? yeah Kaminsky takes uh, Golikov's girlfriend's nude picture. That's, that's fucked up. Yeah, it's... But Constantine's right because... Because he's like, you're next, man. And he's like, he's going to kill you. And when they have a chance to escape with the helicopter, the skull's like, no, get back at the tank. Bro. What yeah. the fuck? And like, it's so funny because they, the, the cinematography is, is very intentional here. Because you can see the turret like facing Daskal as he's walking back to the tank. Mm-hmm. They could have just shot him right there and they would be going home in the helicopter. <laughs> you yeah. know? 
Well, it was funny, too, because once he gets on the tank and he points the gun at them. Yeah. As they're walking towards it. This man doesn't give a fuck about you. Mm hmm. Uh, I it's excellent. Oh, something I did want to touch on real quick. Um, Something that I thought the film did really well is it had a nice little bromance between Taj and Constantine. <laughs> and I really, yeah. really like that. It's you're creating a, a bromance between two guys that were enemies or not mm. enemies, but on different sides of the board. Oh, they're enemies. They're, they're, OK, they're enemies at the very beginning of the film. Taj would have killed him at first at first sight if it wasn't for um, Nanawate. And I think Taj also he's trying to become a leader to his people because his brother was murdered. Yes. So he's he's trying to be a good leader. And a good leader should be um, faithful to Islam, right? Yeah. So if he violates the, their, the tenets of their culture, then it's like he's a bad leader and he's giving in to the infidel influence. Absolutely. And that was that's what was so great. And these two guys don't share a common language. They, they talk to each other like kaboom, tank. It's still really cool to see these guys develop. And kind of, in that scene in the cave where... Constantine fixed the RPG by getting by destroying one of their weapons and taking the trigger. Yeah. At that moment, it's it just works really well. And by the end, when Constantine is flown out of the out of the valley and you see Taj kind of disappointed, it's like, oh man, I wanted these two guys to keep going, but you realistically you can't. Constantine, this isn't his country. This isn't, you know, he's yeah, he's a civilian who got picked to go to fight to go fight and he he was the victim of this shitty behavior by the skull, but he's still Russian. You know what I yeah. mean? It was it was really disappointing because yeah. you really like them together, and you're like, oh man, I wish these guys could be together. And it turns out, well, that's not how the real world works. Yeah, it's like the the fox and the hound, right? Oh man, overall excellent film. Um, excellent film to the guy who recommended it. We don't want to put your name out there. I think we can say, well, I emailed him back and saying like, hey, is it okay if we use your name and read your email? Um, so depending on what he says, if he says anything, I'll leave it in or take it out. Oh, yeah, that's right. You can take it out. So what's his name? Yeah. Uh, Nick. Nick. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Nick. We appreciate your emails at your email. He he wasn't lying when he said he's been trying to talk to different movie people because when I was doing the research for this movie, his name came up again. Someone recommended him to like a review site and they, they was like, I haven't even heard of this movie until I got an email from someone named Nick. I'm like, that's that's our guy. That's, that's our guy. <laughs> damn, Nick out here fighting the good fight. Mm -hmm. For real. But that that's, and you know what? He is not wrong to want people to watch this movie. And I, I'm grateful because he introduced me to this awesome fucking movie that I'm definitely yeah. going to rewatch over and over again in the future you know this is this is why we watch movies you know mm -hmm. uh i'm definitely gonna watch it more than hook <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure yeah but no this is this is such a great film so thank you very much nick we appreciate mm -hmm. the email and the recommendation thank you so much because this film's incredible and i would have never known about it if it wasn't for your ass so thank you <laughs> yes thanks nick um all right, so let's move on to the part where we talk about our quotes. Yes. I have, I've already said my quote. Um, was it your quote too? No, 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 no. But you're, okay, say it was, one more time. 
Okay, my quote is Yalka Boomtank. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it's, it was gonna be I thought it was gonna be sorry, sir, not much of a war, no Stalingrad. How is it that we're the Nazis this time? That that was my backup one in case you, you took Yalka Boomtank. Yeah. Oh my it's it's such a it's like a cheesy eighties line, but it's like a good one. You know what I mean? I feel like this movie earned that. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Like contextually in the scene, in the moment, in the setting, it totally works. Like, yes, it is a cheesy 80s line, but it totally makes sense. And at that point, you know, Constantine, he is trying to communicate to Taj and it is clear. It, it makes perfect sense. I'm totally cool with that. Like that line works great. Um, Allah, why have you forsaken us? That one's a little bit more. Yeah, you went a little too far. You could have pumped the brakes on that a little bit. Yeah. You know? But you're absolutely right. It totally fucking works. Um, great line. Mine's is I I had it right here. I gotta look for him. Uh Constantine says it to Anton. You're a good soldier, Anton. You could be counted on when they ask you to shoot your mother. <laughs> <laughs> I was both like, burn, bitch. But I was also like. Yeah, man. Army's gonna ask you to do some fucked up things. Doesn't mean you should do them. I mean, you know, I this is coming from a civilian. This is coming from a civilian that's never been in the army or anything. But shit, man. Sometimes you gotta say no. Fucking yeah. Fuck the the skull. Um, the skull tells Constantine to uh shoot Samad. Uh, uh, Samad. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. Descartes tells yeah to Descartes tells Constantine shoot Samad he's uh he's part of the he's a traitor Constantine's like no he's he has no evidence that he's a traitor other than that he handed Kaminsky a, a bad round but how is Samad supposed to know that that round is bad it happens all the he, he didn't he had no fucking clue and then the skull has the audacity to say your insubordination has gotten you demoted from intelligence to rescue operations to this tank your next stop is prison <laughs> so, yeah fuck that dude man yeah and the thing is golikov he knows that the commander's going crazy because that's like the last conversation that they all have together mm -hmm. golikov's like how much further do you think we can go and Constantine, he knows what he's trying to say. He's like, are you talking about the tank? <laughs> he's like, dude, do you think the commander's lost it? And then he he knows that this is wrong. And he, he does it anyway because he's afraid. He's a bitch. He's a bitch I mean, he's... Who's, who's scared. And look, honestly, I can't blame him. I cannot. <laughs> look, man, look, look, let, look, let's be honest, Austin. We'd all like to think that we're con Constantine. When in reality, we're a lot closer to Golikov than we are to Con Con Constantine, right? Thankfully, we're not Kaminsky. We're not the Skull, thank God. But shit, I mean, you know, I, that's why I felt bad for Golikov. I was like, all right, man, yeah. look, he's, he's a kid. Let him go. Kill this motherfucker. And <laughs> oh, my God, like when the wife, when the wife comes back after killing the Skull and she's got blood on her face, like, Fuck. What did she do to him? <laughs> she fucked his ass up. And I was like, you go, girl. <laughs> God damn. I was like, I wish I had seen what she had done to him. Oh, man. 
Ooh, that man is obliterated. Fuck it, that tank would have gone easier on Duskull than she did. <laughs> Alright, so that about concludes our episode on The Beast. Um, we will be back in two weeks with another movie. Um, do we know what we're doing next? I don't okay, think well, we do. I know we've talked about it. Um, in in we July, haven't... we're going to be doing Scott Pilgrim and Space Jam. Mm-hmm. Right? And yes, sir. The, our next episode is kind of up in the air. We'll, we'll figure it out, and yeah. we're going to release it just as scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at retrograde underscore pod retrograde one word underscore pod our email is retrogradepod at gmail.com we also have a facebook group uh retrograde podcast and we have a discord but you gotta message us first on twitter to get the invite yeah we love playing games on there austin streams a lot of dead by daylight you can join us. We always like having people for Among Us. Please feel free to, please, if you want to hang out, let us know. We're more than happy. And if you guys want us to talk about a movie, shit, give us give us your take. Granted, we want to, we're always aiming for films that are just a little bit older before 2010. But hey, if you want us to talk about a movie, any movie, Austin and I are planning a special episode. It might not happen in the coming weeks, maybe in August, perhaps. I'm not, I'm not we're not sure. But we want to do an episode where we talk about films after 2010 that we really like. You know, modern films, right? Two of my good friends, Ivan and Alan, have uh, talked, said, hey, we want, I want you to watch this. I want you to talk about this. And I'm like, well, you know, it's doesn't really apply with the rules of the podcast but you know what mm -hmm. that's why we're making that special episode to talk about the films that you guys want our opinions on and it, it could be new shit you know it could be uh i i want to talk about little women on that podcast because that's one of my favorite films that came oh, out recently little women so good so good um the films that they recommended was uh arrival uh by denny bill new came out in 2014 2013 i believe 2014 2014 arrival came out in 2014 and then my good friend Alan recommended a, a taxi driver, right? It's with our man So Kang Ho uh, from The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the movie is, but the way this guy spoke about it, he was like, man, this movie's going to tear you up. It's the taxi one, right? Yes. So, yeah, so... We're going to be doing that episode. If you guys want us to talk about a specific film, any film, even one if we have seen it or haven't, let us know. We'll watch it. Fuck it. We're, we're down. This is what we do. We we watch movies already. So you might yeah. as well send us to watch something. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that is what's coming up on the, on the podcast pretty soon. So thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. We love you. And uh, take it away, Austin. All right. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.